Natalie Yerberry and Hans Berry are Swedish artists, partners and collaborators working in Berlin. They are currently in Melbourne in the lead up to their first exhibition in Australia, The Secret Garden, which is curated by Juliana Engberg and Louise Nerie and presented by the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in association with Melbourne Festival. This exhibition brings together an existing body of Yerberry and Barry's work, including claymation videos and immersive sculptural and audiovisual installations that entice the viewer into a netherworld of delight, destruction and desire, together with an exciting new commission for the unique Acker Galleries. And I'm Annika Christensen, Exhibition Manager at the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art, where I have the pleasure of working closely with Natalie and Hans to help realise this ambitious exhibition. And I'm joined by them here at RMIT today, where they're guests of the School of Arts International Artist in Residence program, to discuss some of the themes behind the show, as well as their practice more broadly. So guys, let's begin with The Secret Garden, which is a new work which you've created especially for this exhibition. Can you describe what viewers will be seeing when they first walk into the Acker Galleries? Well, I think they will hear the music before they walk in. So we often talk about what music do to you, how it, um, sorry that my English vocabulary isn't no. great, so how, how music precedes visual and uh, the, the other senses, and you have no way to really shield yourself from that, so you will be affected emotionally by the music before you see the work. Yeah. And of course, I mean, different people react different, differently to the same music, but there yeah. will be some reaction, no, like knowing or unknowingly. Yes, the music is uh, like uh, has a very narr narrative to it. It's uh, surround sound music, and it has uh, it starts out easily. It's like a it sounds uh, stupid, but it's like a journey or a trip. Mm. Goes out into space and then back again, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah, so, so the installation is so it con consists of the music, one claymation and uh, many sculptural ob objects and also neon lights that are spread out. And I, we're talking about it like a open field of possibilities mm -hmm. where things aren't really put down, where things aren't really decided what it is or how it is. Um, it's so easy to, yeah, to always think you know what you're looking at or what you're dealing with. And now I'm even talking about like outside of the art context. So, yeah, I think about the Secret Garden. It feels like a place deep somewhere in your subconscious where you, where things are, where things end up, different scattered things, and you're not exactly sure yeah. what they are. There's something. Yeah. So what about the, the kind of genesis for the idea? Where did that come from? Because I know that it evolved from, there was talk of a magpie yeah. into a secret garden, and I know that Juliana has spoken of it being sort of like a bird's nest, like a frenzy of things that, that yeah. people might, you know, a bird might collect from the forest floor. So where did those kind of ideas come from? Well, it, it, in a way it came from, from, from an interest of, of shamanic practices. Uh, uh, and different states of consciousness um, and giving importance to some objects or if the objects actually have the importance um, like we the uh, well, I'm thinking of uh, Yusuf Boyce he, he had a work where he, it was a bathtub and he filled it up and I might have it a little bit wrong he filled it up with uh, the, this fat that he would use 
and uh, at one opening they emptied it out and filled it with ice and beer and then uh, when he found out he said that now, now the work is completely destroyed you destroyed the you, you, you destroyed it and they were like well we will fill it again with the fat and he was like no no it's it's really destroyed and for our work I don't I don't really see it like that but I think it's very interesting to put that value on it and um, now I lost myself a little bit so no. Hans <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's quite an expansive exhibition in that it brings together much of your work over the past sort of decade or so, beginning with claymation films or actually ending with it in terms of this yeah. layout. Yeah. Um, so how has your practice kind of developed over the years from those early films to expand to a more installation-based um, kind of practice? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, obviously the way that you work together as collaborators with music and visual kind of aspects have changed too. So can you talk yeah. a bit about that process? I can talk a bit how the work with my end of it uh, changed like uh, the music has gotten more and more uh, bigger importance and we've been doing more m more music louder music the music is more important for each and every work it's more it's carrying more but it's also it's more difficult in a way <laughs> yeah <laughs> the music is driving. in the beginning it was a bit more uh, uh, Illust illustrative, illust illustrative. Mm -hmm. and now it's much more uh, there for its own sake, and uh, and uh, in the beginning, Natalie's uh, visual work always came first. But now it can be a bit either or. Sometimes the music comes first, and the visual bit comes after the music. Yeah. Like how was it in the Secret Garden? Uh, sort of at the same time. Yeah, we started talking about it, and then when I started working on it, you 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 did too, and. It, yeah, so I still had some of it during my process. Yeah, it was a it. parallel work yeah. Yeah, great. for that one. Um, and Natalie, is it true that you taught yourself claymation in those early days? Yes, yeah. yeah. We didn't have any any workshops like that uh, at, uh, at, a, at a school and or university. And um, But I didn't consider it art when I started. I considered it wanting to not do art. Mm -hmm and um, wanting to quit that and 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 then I, I it just happened that I that I started and I found it so fascinating so I mean I'm not a great animator I'm really not I'm, I'm quite bad at it but I don't care so much of, for being great at it I think that and if the image is really if you're really really great it's enough with one image yeah and and the more images you need, the more images you use. And uh, and then if you use too many, it becomes completely dead. So for me, it doesn't matter if it's jumping or anything. And and I I work, and then when I need to learn something new, I learn it. If it's about computer, I make Hans <laughs> learn it and then teach me sure. only what I need to know. But uh, yeah. but it it comes pretty natural. Like after a while, you you're sick of things falling apart. The, I think that the first like one joke that we we used to have was that my my first puppets had like 
a skeletal of uh, just of yarn, which is so incredibly stupid. It would like keep the clay from detaching, so. but it was would be so soft. So all the puppets. I had one horse, for example, in the beginning. He's I thought it was so beautiful, also, and in the end, he looks like a rat because the legs have shrunk to only <laughs> one <laughs> centimeter yeah. long. But I like that that they, it's the ideas that come first, and then you then you adapt to the ideas. Yeah. And a lot of your work, your sculptural work, but particularly the claymations, has kind of an immediate innocence to it when you look at it. And of course, some of the themes that you're exploring are anything but innocent. So is it kind of um, intentional for you to choose a medium that maybe says one thing immediately in order to to draw people into a kind of darker exploration? no, I, I could say yes, but that, that would be a lie. It, that, that was just what happened. Mm-hmm. That when I, when I started liking animation so much, that, I, that was actually from the beginning, um, I could easily work with the subjects that were important or interesting to me. And I think that what happened was that in the beginning, since I didn't really consider what I was doing art, it, in the beginning, it wasn't. It was more fantasy, uh, more exploring what I had inside. But but art is for me. Art is some is more. You have to be more aware for it to be art. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, if you if you haven't gone all the way to look at what it is you're doing, uh, it's it's a fantasy or a psychosis. So. It became art first when I was able to take the step back and see why am I doing this? Why am I so interested in these subjects? And what does it really mean that I'm using this? So, um, but then I, when uh, we started to exhibit, and then I saw that it was kind of the same thing for people watching it, that you haven't. You have innocent eyes when you're watching it because you think it's not for you. You think that it would be for your children because you're programmed to believe that. And so you have no filters, then you look at it, and then you are appalled or you're not. So so I I think it's a... Well, I think that is... What do you say? say? Like a a (laughs) fardel. Sorry. Advantage. <laughs> yeah, it's an yeah. advantage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the medium. Well, it kind yeah. of works like a visual hook, I think, to pull you in. And yeah. then things aren't quite what they seem. Yeah. No. Which yeah. is, you know, a lot of your work is quite dreamlike like that, in that you're not yeah. really sure what's reality and what's not. And I've also read that um, you're, you're not maybe particularly interested in contemporary art, but that Goya has been an art historical yeah. influence to you. And I know that he has a painting <laughs> called um, The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters, yeah. which oh, yeah. mm-hmm. sort of reminded me of your work in a broader sense. And I was wondering how important dreams or the subconscious yeah. were in like yeah. to the to your work. I just want to say that, no, like before I wasn't so interested in contemporary art, but th- that felt like it was long ago. Sure. So that has really... Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that, that has really changed. And I am more and more interested in contemporary art but I mean Goya is really really amazing I still think that he's super fantastic yeah. but Hans you can answer that it was this, uh, what was the question some subconscious so, so um, yeah I mean how important are dreams or an exploration of the subconscious for us it's very important because it's um, it's what you wouldn't normally want to touch I mean things that you avoid and I think that Art is so good because art is there for you to be able to look at things 
that you are avoiding that you maybe wish to continue avoid yeah. or and uh, or maybe you really want it to be revealed but you don't know where it is I mean sometimes you really have to be be pressured somehow to to notice things in yourself and I think that for almost anything but it, it goes so well with art is that for, for us it's like that when when the art leaves the studio it's not so important what what it means to us anymore but it's really yeah. important what it does to the viewer so if the viewer doesn't feel like it has feel like he has no reaction to the work or it isn't important it's not interesting at all but it's not for that person it is for the person who feels that he gets upset or she or angry sad really really happy aroused like anything any uh, any reaction is a valid reaction and any 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 interpretation is an is a valid interpretation so but but to the question, if if is if the dream world is important, yeah, because, yeah, because that you haven't yeah. nailed point nailed things a, down. It's such yet. a vast uh, world, and it's, it's inside of you. So mm. It's very interesting that way. But it's also so fluid a dream world as well, and a lot yeah. of your works are kind of liquid, like you explore fluid sort of forms yeah. that kind of morph into one another and. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it evokes kind of a dream sensation, I think, even in the viewer just yeah. watching it. Um, so also there have been parallels drawn between your work and fairy tales. I think that's something maybe Juliana has touched on in the text mm -hmm. that she's written in the catalogue. But of course, unlike Disney, which makes everything happy, I think yours are a little bit more like Hans Christian Andersen yeah. originals that are a bit darker. But that kind of leads me to wonder how how much the Scandinavian landscape or mythology has has played a role in your work at all or if it has yeah I think a lot right yeah, uh, for, both so, for both of mm. us uh, I was thinking but I was talking about the music in uh, another interview and yeah it's um, for me it's very much based and influenced from this Scandinavian sort of melancholy mm. and uh, it's kind of dark and yeah no I, yeah and for me absolutely both both the um, the those pretty cruel stories or the mythology um which wasn't only meant for children i mean at that time it wasn't just meant for children um and and i think that that i think that most children are pretty drawn to that because it's, there's a need to explore for yourself what is bad and what is good and noticing what happens when you do something that other uh, judge as bad or when you do something that yourself judge as, as bad and um, no and I, and I also think that it's impossible to get away from from the things that, um, sorry, my English. Your root or something. Yeah, your, your what, what, yeah, what you got imprinted in as a child. And for Hans, it's really like deep forests, mm -hmm. yeah, high up, quite high up north in Sweden. And and for me, it's, a, uh, it's quite like the coast, and but also. But nature forest. is nature is, uh, is very is important for both. Yeah. Oh, we grew up in, yeah. so in the nature and the fairy tales and stories yeah of course M more for me than for you yeah. I think yeah. 
I guess I was thinking particularly as well of the role of the witch in Scandinavian, Scandinavian <laughs> yeah. mythology. Oh, yeah. I was so scared. Yeah. <laughs> and she can morph between an animal form and a human form yeah. to kind of trick humans. And yeah. also, that very much is an interest in your work, the sort of relationship between animals and humans yeah. um, interacting with one another in unexpected ways. And so I, I wondered what you personally thought the relationship between animals and humans was in life and in your work. Uh, for me, for me, I mean, I really love animals. I, r- I really do. But it's just a, a joy for me with animals. But but in the work, it's uh, it's a really easy way to portray either a person with a certain um, characteristic, or to take away. The personality. So, if if you would use a human face and a special kind of clothing and stuff like that, then if you look at it, you will distance yourself from it because it's it's that person. If it's an animal, it's a little bit more different. It's more vague. You see the characteristic, but it's not as much of of your next door neighbor or person. You don't detach yourself from that as much. Mm-hmm. At least that for, for me, yeah. it's like that, and I. It's funny to, I think that uh, for me it's like when something is funny, which for me it's usually funny to work with animals in that way, it bypasses also many restrictions or, and the the easier and more direct I I think is the better. Not always of course, but uh, makes it enjoyable. And how important is humour to you for your work? Because a lot of it's sort of like a balance between humour and horror. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that is almost <laughs> the best one when yeah. you are not allowed to laugh. But I think that laugh is also something that makes something bearable. And it take away the edge and it put it in... It well, it, it, um, it cuts the... It, oh, shit, how... Humour is a good to way this. to... S- it's a, such a powerful language somehow, and it's and also um, satire. Maybe we don't use that really, but it's it's a very powerful way to say something or to understand something. It's, yeah, because there's a difference of understanding In something intellect, intellectual right. and understanding something like really deep. Yeah, and if you don't understand a joke or you won't laugh. The laugh is an understanding and you might not be able to understand it uh, intellectually but if if you do laugh at a joke you you got it and yeah I'm yeah well yeah and, and if you have to explain the joke and you understand like oh this is funny because this happened to that one and that's happened yeah, you still haven't ah, understood so it in the right way yeah then you but and then moving between that uh, horror and uh, and uh, joke, yeah, it 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 cuts through something. Well, yeah. Yeah, it well, mm. takes you a bit off guard if you're. Yeah, not just that. Going mm. between horror and uh, and fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It breaks down the barriers that you normally put up when something is disturbing or when you have trouble watching something or you have a resistance to understanding something. So, yeah, and it's also a coping mechanism, I guess. Yeah, you know, when yes. things are a bit dark, 
and so it helps you through in that way as well. Yeah. Um, so I think we're nearly out of time, so ending on a laugh is probably a good spot to do it. Yeah. So thank you very much for coming in today and pleasure working with you. I'm excited to see the show. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Thanks thank a lot. you. Yeah, thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having us.